Thank you, Brittany. Good morning. Welcome to First Church this morning on this last Sunday of October. We have an exciting day today at church. Today is the fifth, 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Over the next five weeks, we will be looking at the meeting of the Reformation and how it still impacts us today. <clears throat> Shannon Rediger will be home soon from her 11-month mission trip to 11 different countries. On Sunday, December 3rd, she will give a presentation about her trip in the ministry center. Keep that date open. High school Bible study starts tonight at 6.30 at Youth Pastor Tori's house. Uh, students are encouraged to bring their friends. There's a lot of other announcements and things going on. Please uh, refer to your worship folder for those items. At this point, I would like to ask you to stand uh, for our call to worship. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statues of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than more much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgiven my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. They may not rule over me. And I will be blameless, innocent of great transgressions. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now we will continue to stand and join the choir when directed by Kay Noldy in singing of our first hymn from the Blue Book, number 26, A Mighty Fortress is Our God.
This time I'd like to invite forward those who are joining the church this morning. And as you come forward, I invite you to bring your bulletin with you if you have that handy. We're going to be looking at our mission statement together this morning and it's printed on the inside cover. So coming forward, I just want to just make a just praise God for this. Um, you know, this is, uh, I think, the third time since I've been here at this church that we've had a chance to, to welcome new members. And it's just such a blessing to see people let you go on that side of me. Let's you see, let see people making the commitment to join the church. Not, not just because it's first church, but because they're making the commitment to the body of Christ and, and to, to live out their faith and to, to make a statement that this is, this is the, the commitment they want to make this morning. Um, as I've, I've spoken with each one of them, and I just want to take a moment and read their names just in case anyone out there is, is not familiar with them. We have Rob and Sharon Cheney, Krista Hoagie, Becky Jones, Sarah Vordermark, Gary and Emily Wiedemann, Brittany Werwell and Terry and Sally Wisman. Um, 
Some have been a part of the church for some time. Some are a little bit newer faces, but they're all here today to make that commitment. Um, and as I've spoken with them, um, I've reminded them that church membership is it's a, really a commitment. It's a commitment to live out the mission statement, uh, to, to make that a part of their lives and to, to live that out here in, as part of the church as well. But it's also a commitment that the church makes to them as they stand up here today and make this commitment. It's not just them committing to us, but it's us as a church committing to them, um, to encourage them, to build them up, and to help them live out this mission statement as well. Um, that's, why, that's why we do this as part of the church service, because it's a commitment, really, that we're all making to each other to, to live out our faith, to, to build each other up, and help each one of us to love God and love our neighbor more and more each day. Um, so part of that commitment, part of what it means to, to be a member of the church is living out that mission statement. And it's printed for us in the, the inside cover of our bulletin. And, uh, and this mission statement really is, it's what we are about as a church. We want to be a community of faith to engage biblical truth, to provide an environment where people mature as disciples of Christ. And those E statements that follow help us to know what that looks like, how we actually live that out. And, and so as a, as a way to affirm that for our new members, but also as a way for us to reaffirm it as the, as the body of Christ here at First Church in New Knoxville, I'd like to read that statement out loud together as a way for our new members to affirm that, but also as, as us gather to, to affirm our commitment to it and our commitment to our new members that we will strive to live that out alongside them as well. Does that make sense? So let's, let's read that if you have your bulletins handy, um, beginning with a, a community of faith, and we'll end with that last E statement printed in your bulletin. A community of faith who engage biblical truth to provide an environment where people mature as disciples of Christ. To accomplish our mission, First Church will encounter our Creator, embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to become His disciples. Empower lives through God's living word, the Bible. Engage with the Holy Spirit to provide guidance and direction. Encourage others to know Christ and strengthen their relationship with God. Enrich the body of Christ by going forth and supporting fellow disciples. See, that's what it is. That's what it means to be a member of this church and really a a member of the Big C Church, the body of Christ. And so um, we're so glad you're making this commitment today and we want to support and encourage you in that. And as a church, we want to come alongside you and help you to live that out. And so um, I probably should have done this a moment earlier, but if there's any of our our elders that are here this morning, I invite you to come forward and and just uh, as as a way to... Let them know that the church is, is, is supporting them. We want to encourage any elders that are here to come up. And as I pray, I encourage you to just lay a hand on someone. Um, at the same time as Cindy Flutterjohn. Yeah, there you are. Um, Cindy's coming forward, too, because uh, Krista, Krista Hoagie, um, they have a special relationship. And, and Cindy wanted to be here, and Krista wanted her to be here as a way to show that support as well. So let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the commitment that these 10 individuals are making today to to become a member of this church. We thank you for the commitment that they have, first and foremost, to you and their faith, Lord, um, in Jesus Christ. And so we we thank you that 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 is um, a part of a reality in their life. And I pray, Lord, that as they make this commitment today, you'd help them to to live that out and and become a, a better disciple of Jesus Christ as a result of this commitment. I pray that you'd help them to live out this this calling you've placed on us as a church. Lord, uh, to, to know you, to be rooted in Christ, to grow together and to serve the world. And so I pray, Lord, that as they do that, we as a church will be able to come alongside them and help them to grow and help them to, to do that, Lord, this day and going forward. And Lord, I pray that as, 
as a church, as we see the commitment they're making, Lord, that would help us to reaffirm our commitment to you and our commitment to this church and this body of believers. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing it is to gather with others, to encourage one another in the faith. And I pray, Lord, that, that this day and, and all the days we have ahead of us, Lord, we'd be able to, to not take that for granted, but that this place, this body of believers, would be a, a place where we can grow in our faith and encourage others to do that as well. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. And as, as they're finding their seats, I invite you all to, to stand and greet one another in the Lord, and the children can come forward for children's chat as well. Maybe. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to stay in motion here. Good morning. How are you all doing today? You guys are, we're packing them in here today. How are you? Okay. Now you got I'm not a professional. I'm not like either the Lammers ladies or Mrs. Rohrbaugh. So bear with me. And I put this all on my cell phone, which is just terrifying to me. A paper has never failed me, but my phone may or may not. Okay. So how are we all doing today? Who here can tell me or has any idea? What does the word reform mean? What do you think that could mean? Any ideas? Yeah. Like these, it's like rebuilding. Very good. Is that what you were going with? What do you think? She took yours. She took, anyone else reform? Well, reform is kind of a hard, hard word to think about, but it does mean to make something new or over again. Do you know what helps me remember the word reform? I've got two things along with me today from when I was probably your size. Yeah, you can see through the cup, can't you? What's the first one? What's the first one? Play-Doh. How many folks here? How many of you have played with Play-Doh before? Okay. Oh, yeah. Everyone likes I love Play-Doh. I love Play-Doh. And the cool thing about Play-Doh is I could make a hundred different things, couldn't I? I can squish it and I can mold it. I can shape it to be whatever I want, can't I? So how many folks are good at making a snake? You make a Play-Doh snake? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we get fancy make a Play-Doh car? It's pretty advanced. It's the advanced... Advanced placement, Play-Doh. I'm with you. So, Play-Doh is a great thing. And the Bible in Isaiah, would you sit down, squirt? The Bible in Isaiah says that God is like the potter and we are like clay. Well, Isaiah didn't have Play-Doh, but I think he probably would say that God is like a potter and we are just like this piece of Play-Doh. Yeah? And the good thing is, just like what we can do with Play-Doh to move and change its shape and change what it does, God does the same thing for all of us in our lives. He can reform us into different shapes and different things. How's that work? All right. How about some older kids? Older kids. What else? What else helps me remember about reforming? What do you think? What do we got in here? Got a few Legos. Oh my golly! So once you kids get a little older, some of you guys, you'll get a little older. You're starting to get into Legos. I'm stoked. I got to buy Legos last night. I was like, yes, the time has come. Bring them in. So the cool thing about Legos is I might make something right now. And in five or ten minutes, I could take them all apart and I could put them back in together something completely different, couldn't I? I could reform those Legos to be something else. How's that sound? Is that pretty cool? How many folks have Legos at home already? All right, that's awesome. Well, you guys keep playing with Legos. And the other ones keep playing with that Play-Doh. So Isaiah talks about us being clay and God being the potter. And the big deal now is we're going to talk a little about Martin Luther. So Martin Luther did something 500 years ago. Martin Luther got together and said, you know what? The church is doing a lot of good things, but there's a couple things that we need to change. We need to reform our church. We need to change some of the pieces around, just like we can change our Legos around. Yeah? 
We need to make that church look a little different. We need to reform it into a little bit of a different shape. We're going to change how we praise God a little bit based on the Bible and God's word. And so that's what Martin Luther said. How long ago? Five. That's a long time ago, isn't it? But even today, we celebrate that and we, and we uh, worship God in a reformed way based on Martin Luther. So the next time you go into the cupboard and you dig out your Play-Doh or the next time you take the big old bucket of Legos and you dump them out in the living room, maybe think about that, right? How God uses all of us and he can change the shape we have and he can move those pieces and parts around to bring glory to him and show his love through Jesus. Okay. We're about ready to pray. I have a couple rules here, and I've already talked to Mr. Kramer about this. If you look on that front bench over there, there are tubs of Play-Doh. The tubs of Play-Doh are for the little kids. Now, here are the rules. Hey, 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 watch it, Opperman. Here are the rules, okay? The rules are probably, probably can't quite get it out in church, okay? I don't want Play-Doh all over the carpet, all right? Just saying. And there are also baggies of Legos in that little, uh, that little basket there for some of the older kids, okay? If you haven't played with Legos before, you probably shouldn't get Legos because I don't want you to choke on them. Okay, those are for the bigger kids. Deal? All right, so you remember what we talked about today? With God being the potter and you being the clay? And let's just fold our hands and say a quick prayer here and then head back. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for these young hearts and minds today. Help us all to be more like them and have a childlike faith. Let us celebrate this day and every day the beautiful creation and these beautiful people that we're all surrounded with as your family. In your son's name we pray. Amen. That was good. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Clinton. Thanks, children. As we go to the Lord in prayer this morning, let's continue to lift up the names and the the people that are are listed in our bulletin under the prayers and concerns list. Um, Some of them, as I mentioned, have mentioned before are ongoing. Some of them may be new this week, um, but they all are in need of our prayer. And so let's Let's continue to lift them up to God. But in, in addition to that, let's pray for our, our new members um, and also also our, our current members, right? Those that have been a part of this church for some time. Let's pray that we continue to live out that mission statement, uh, remain on fire for God, and live out our faith each and every day. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are, you are God. Uh, thank you that you continue to shape us and continue to mold us more and more into the image of Christ, Lord. And, and that is an ongoing process that uh, takes, Lord, um, our entire lives. Uh, we're never quite there. We don't reach that point, Lord, that we are, are perfectly in your image until we're with you in eternity. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd continue to shape us, continue to form us, help us to, to study your word and, and have that relationship with you so that we can continue to grow in our faith. I thank you for the new members this morning that made that commitment to you and to this church. And I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them and help them to grow in their faith. And as well as as them, Lord, I pray that all of us that are gathered here this morning, whether we're guests or longtime members, um, would just be able to grow and and that you would work in our lives in such a way to bring about that change. Lord, I thank you for, for the many people, Lord, who are, who are faithfully um, praying for the names that are on this list. And I pray, Lord, that, that as we continue to pray for those, those situations, that you would work in them. I pray that your provision, your healing, um, Lord, your presence would be with these people. And whatever situation is, whatever is needed in those situations, Lord, you would provide. Uh, Lord, we trust that you are a, a loving, faithful, all-powerful God. And so we pray that you would work your will in each of those, each of those situations. We pray all of these things in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As those who are helping with the offering come forward, I just want to uh, remind you of our, our general fund offering this morning, and the choir will be blessing us with a rendition of His Word Will Stand.
Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture reading today is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. And I encourage you to... Well, that was a typo because there's only 17 verses. That's in my bad. And that, that did not sound right. Verses 16 and 17, excuse me, from 2 Timothy chapter 3. I encourage you to follow along in your own Bible or one of the pew Bibles that are provided for you. Paul writes, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this opportunity to, to worship you this morning. Thank you for the, the, the ability to worship you through music, through prayer, through fellowship, and now through, through your word being read and studied. We pray that you would help us to focus in on what's important this morning and, uh, and that you, are, you would be glorified through everything we do. I pray that you'd open up all of our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us this morning. In Christ, we pray. Amen. As Clinton so wonderfully uh, talked about during children's chat today, uh, we are remembering the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. It was 500 years ago on Tuesday, on October 31st, that Martin Luther, uh, a, a monk at the time, was took uh, his 95 theses and nailed them to the door of the Wittenberg Church. If you happen to pick up one of our, our study packs that has the questions and the scripture readings in it, you can actually see a picture that the Hirschfelds took just recently when we were in Germany of that Wittenberg church uh, door. Obviously, that's not the same door that was there 500 years ago. You know, you're not going to see the nail mark in it. But that's the same church, the same building where Martin Luther supposedly nailed those 95 theses to the door. So just a little nice little touch that um, that you can see there, uh, the modern day picture of that door. But that, that October 31st, it was kind of the spark of what we now know as the Protestant Reformation. And Luther, he gets a lot of credit for that, right? He gets a lot of credit for nailing those 95 theses to the door and kind of being the catalyst. But there were many, many other people who were involved, many that lived before Luther and many that came after him. Uh, people like John Calvin and Ulrich Zwingli and, and many others that were a part of this, this movement. Uh, and, and when we celebrate the Protestant Reformation, what we're doing is we're celebrating uh, the reforms that were made um, to, to address biblical Christianity, to to try to bring people back, as, as Clinton talked about with that Plato, God was forming the church and reforming it more and more into the image that he desired it to be. And so while Reformation teaching was relatively diverse at the time, right, there was and, and continues to be so today, right? Think of how many Protestant denominations and groups that we have, right? So, so it's hard to lump all of that together into one group. Um, there was a lot of diversity there. But Reformation theology in general can be summed up using what are called the five solas. Uh, sola is the Latin term for alone. And so, so there are these five kind of phrases that really encapsulated the, the main teaching and main points, what some people may call the pillars of the Reformation theology. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to take a look at that as a way to um, celebrate, right, the Reformation, um, especially as a, as a church in New Knoxville. That's something that we celebrate quite a bit. Uh, but it's also a way for us to remind ourselves of what those, what those pillars were and, and, and how they continue to relate to us in our personal faith today as well as a church. So this is much more than just a history lesson. You know, I want this to be something that we can learn from and grow from and that I pray that God continues to shape us and continues to mold us um, by studying these, these five solas 
uh, over the next five weeks. And so the five of them are Scripture alone, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, and glory to God alone. And so we're going to be taking a look at each one of those in turn, beginning with Scripture alone today. Um, given the fact that we're talking about Scripture and its importance and prominence in the church today, I encourage you to have Bibles. And I'm going to be looking at several different passages. Um, I know you may not be able to keep up. Some of them may be a little bit more rapid fire than you'd be able to follow along. But I encourage you to, to take a look at some of those along with me today as we talk about what it means to to believe in, the, in Scripture alone. So a quick definition as we get started. Um, the way I would describe Scripture alone is, is the belief that the Bible, both the Old and New Testaments, is the final authority of faith and practice for believers and for the church. Now, it's important to note, I said final authority, right? Not only authority, and there's a big difference there. There's a lot of other authority figures and authority uh, uh, structures of authority that are important for us in our, in our faith, but also in a, in a society, right? So, so the church, uh, tradition, right? Our, our history, uh, reason, how we think. God gave us brains to work, right? And so, so we, it's important for us to use that. Uh, and also other more civil authorities like our parents, the government. They're all valid authorities. I'm not saying that when we talk about Scripture alone as the authority of the church, I'm not saying that those other things don't matter, Right. And that's why a lot of people get maybe confused or upset about this idea of Scripture alone. Instead, what we're talking about is that Scripture is the final authority. It's the ultimate authority. In other words, all other forms of authority are binding insofar as they are in line with Scripture. So if Scripture says one thing and and our parents or the church or our history tell us something else, Scripture should have the final say. That's what we mean by Scripture alone. It is the final, it is the ultimate authority. What God says in His Word should be the, the determining factor and determining direction of our lives, both personally and as a church. Does that make sense? And so that's why it's important for us to know God's Word and to study it, because that is the, the authority, final authority that God gave us to know Him and to live out our faith every day. So an example, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 He encourages the church in Corinth to follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You see how that works there? Paul says, all right, do what I say, follow my example, take my lead, but only insofar as I am following the example of Christ. You see, his authority, his, his authority as a preacher and a teacher and a missionary was there only insofar as he was in line with Scripture and in line with, with their knowledge of Christ. It'd be like, a, you know, a, I know sports are a big deal around here. I'm a big sports fan. And, and coaches are one form of authority we have in our lives, right? For If you're a player at, at a high school sports team or middle school or club team, you know, a coach has a very important position. They're supposed to guide and direct the team. They're supposed to instruct them in order for them to succeed well, right? But if I'm a basketball coach and I'm telling you, I'm telling the team that it's, you don't have to dribble the ball, Right? Just take the ball and run down to the other end of the court and, and make a layup, right? I'm a bad coach, right? That is a bad use of that authority. And, the, and, and any good player, any good team would be getting rid of that coach as quickly as possible, right? The coach has authority insofar as he's, he's in line with the rules and the, the structure of the game as it's understood, right? And so a good basketball coach will teach the rules of basketball and how to play within those parameters. And the same is true for, for those other authorities in our life, like the church, and even myself as pastor, right? 
I have authority in a sense only so insofar as I am in line with Scripture and I'm following God's Word in my own life and, and, and showing you that example. You know, that's why I think it's important as we talk about Scripture alone, you know, have your Bibles out. <laughs> Flip through. Don't just take my word for it, right? Look at God's Word. See what it says. And, and, and hopefully, you know, you'll see that as, as best to my ability, I'm in line with Scripture and there's no reason I would want to try to lead you astray. But that's why it's important to know Scripture and so that we can be aware of those things. And so please, by all means, fact check me, right? Like pull out your Bibles, read along with me. Make sure I'm, I'm going in the right direction because my role as pastor is, is to invite you, like Paul, to follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And the only way we can know how to do that, the only way we can live that out is by knowing his word and following his word. Authority is a hard word for us today, isn't it? Authority is not an easy pill to swallow, and especially, I think, as, as, especially as a new generation um, grows up into adulthood, it's that problem is going to continue to arise. Um, we have a struggle with authority. We have a struggle with submitting to authority. And so, so I think it's good to take a moment and talk about that as well. When I say authority, what I mean is that the Bible, as the expression of God's will to us, it possesses the right to define what we are to believe and how we are to conduct ourselves. In other words, God, through his word, through the Bible, determines what is good and evil, what is right and what is wrong. We are not supposed to determine that for ourselves. Right? God has made, made that clear for us in his word. And where it's not clear, we can try to, to do our best to understand what God would want us to do in given situations based on his character and what he's like. You see, the reason why it's so hard for us, the reason why we struggle with that so much is because I believe that rejection of authority, that unwillingness to submit to authority, is really part of that original sin that took place in the garden. If you're able, I encourage you to flip all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 3, Genesis 1 and 2 describes the creation of, of the world as well as the first people, Adam and Eve. And so in Genesis 3, we see sin enter the world. In verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the gardens? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Notice here there's two things that the serpent does here to undermine God's authority, to plant that seed of doubt in our minds. And the first one is he asks the question, did God really say? Right, how many of us struggle with that question today? Did God really say can we really trust God's word? Can we really know that it's God's word in and of itself? And when that idea, when that thought crops and begins to, to show up in our mind, it undermines the authority of God's word. It questions the re reliability of his word. And then the other one in verse 4, the serpent says, you won't certainly die. Right, if you flip back to Genesis 2, God says, if you eat from that tree, you will die. Right, Clear as day. But the serpent says, oh, you can't trust that. You can't trust what he says. 
You see how that doubt creeps in? And of course, we know the end of the story that Eve and Adam alike both eat from that tree and their eyes are opened. Right? They're able to see their own sin. That They're able to see the fact that they did not submit to God's authority but took that authority for themselves. You see, in, in doing that, what, they, what Adam and Eve were doing and what we continue to do today in our own lives is we try to determine right and wrong and, and good and evil for ourselves. We try to play God in that sense. We, we say, God, I got this. I'm not going to trust what you say. I'm not gonna, I, I don't believe your word is reliable, so I'm going to try to make that decision for myself. So right there from, from Genesis chapter 3, from the first sin, we see how, how we try to usurp God's authority and take that for ourselves. And so as Christians, what we should be doing is, is trying to resist that temptation, right? Instead, we should be looking to God's word and what he's revealed to us about himself and about how he's acted in history and submit to that authority. And so this, as we look at Genesis 3 and, and talk about this idea of Scripture alone, there's a few questions that, that come to mind that I want to address for us this morning. The first is, is the Bible really the Word of God? As the serpent said in Genesis 3, verse 1, did God really say? And so if we are to believe that Scripture alone is our final authority, it's important for us to, to believe that the Bible really is the Word of God. Second is, that, is the idea of, of God, the Bible's trustworthiness. Can God's word even be trusted, right? The serpent says, you certainly won't die. So God, can we trust God's word? And then the third one, which, which comes from, from those first two, if we are to affirm these two realities, or to put it another way, is if God's word is authoritative in our lives, how do we respond to that? How should we as believers respond and interact with God's Word if it really can be trusted and if it really is reliable as the Word of God? So I want to take a look at each one of those questions in turn. First, is the Bible the Word of God? And there's a lot lot of different ways we can approach this, but first I want to take a look at at Scripture's testimony concerning itself. What what does the Bible say about itself and what can we learn from that? And the first thing is from our, our passage our scripture reading today, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says that all scripture is God-breathed. Depending on your translation, that may say inspired by God. Um, the word is actually, uh, Paul almost kind of makes up this compound word. He takes the word God and takes the word breath and just kind of shoves them together. Right? And so, so it's like literally like scripture is God's breath. It's, it's God's, God's breath being, being poured out into those words. That, the image actually brings us all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, where God formed Adam out of the dust, right? And he formed this man, and, and the, the man wasn't living just because God formed him out of the dust. What did God have to do? He had to breathe life into Adam. And it's the same kind of image. Just as God had to breathe life, give his spirit into this, this dust in order to form man, God also breathed life. He gave life to the words of Scripture. God, through his Holy Spirit, inspired the words, the word of that we have in front of us today. There's other passages that that relate to this as well. The first one is Second Peter, chapter one, verses nineteen through twenty-one. Again, that's Second Peter, chapter one, verses nineteen through twenty-one. Peter writes, "We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place." until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, 
Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter here is, is reminding these people and reminding us today that, that when we look at God's Word, and he used the term uh, prophets uh, or prophecy, and, and that was a common way to refer to all of the Old Testament. You see that throughout the New Testament, saying something like the Law and the Prophets, or the Law or the Prophets. Their idea wasn't just one particular book, but the whole um, Scripture that they had that day. He's saying it doesn't have its origin in man. It's not inspired just by us, but it's God working through them. God working through those people to create what we have today as the Old and New Testaments. It's not just the ideas or words of the writer alone, but it's exactly the the words and ideas that God had in mind in the first place. And if you flip over just one page to 2 Peter 3, verse 16, we see that this doesn't just apply to the Old Testament. right? When Peter and Paul were writing these things, they didn't have the New Testament or the Gospels in front of them. All they had was the Old Testament Scriptures. So some may ask, well, what about the New Testament? Well, even in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, Peter references Paul on the same level as the other scriptures. He writes, talking about Paul, he writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Can anybody relate to that? Some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So we get this hint, even as Peter's writing, he's well aware that that Paul had written other letters and that people were using them as Scripture, and he puts them on the same level. He refers to them as just as they do the other Scriptures, in a sense putting Paul on the same level as the Old Testament, as God's inspired Word. And so we see that Scripture testifies to itself about itself as God's own Word. But how did people like Jesus in the early church view Scripture? Well, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, we see Jesus quoting Scripture as God's Word, as something that was able to, to in, equip him to withstand the temptation that the devil put, was putting him through in the wilderness. We see the devil offer, you know, we're, it's a passage we're relatively familiar with, the devil tempting Jesus three times. And each one of those moments, Jesus responds with Scripture as a way to, to avoid that temptation and to stand up under it. And so Jesus himself used Scripture as a way that was authoritative, in a way that, that presented it as the Word of God. And then also in Luke uh, chapter 24, this is after the resurrection, we get this scene of these disciples who are walking along the road to Emmaus, and Jesus, unbeknownst to them, right, they didn't recognize him, comes alongside them and begins to, to talk with them about what had just happened. And we get this statement in verse 27, Luke chapter 24, verse 27, Luke says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, speaking of Jesus, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And so when, after, after Jesus died and rose again, he went back to the scriptures, right, to, to explain what had happened, to give authority and to, to help them to understand what had taken place. And so Jesus uses the Old Testament to teach the disciples about himself. And, and Peter and Paul and all the other New Testament writers quote Scripture as authoritative in their letters. So there's the sense that even from the earliest days, God's, they took God's Word and, and understood it to have, be reliable and have authority in their own lives. And so when we say that the Bible is inspired, we mean 
that even though the Bible was written by multiple human authors over hundreds of years, it was all done under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Unique personalities, historical situations, literary genres, excuse me, they all shine through, right? God didn't override these people and override their personalities in order to accomplish his will. Instead, he guided them. He, God used all of that stuff, their, their particular situations and their personalities, in order to produce exactly what he intended to produce. And so I believe what we have here before us is God's word is reliable. We can know and trust that this is the word of God. And so as a response to the question, did God really say? Yes, we can be confident that the Bible is actually God's word revealed to us. So that brings us to our next question. If, God's, if this really is God's word, can it be trusted? And that brings us again back to 2 Timothy chapter 3 for our scripture reading. And I just want to um, rewind just about half a verse here in the middle of verse 15. Paul writes to Timothy how, how from infancy he had known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in verse 17, so that you know the, we, are, we are to be use the Scripture for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So not only does God, is God's Word... Um, it's, it's, excuse me, it's, it's reliable, but it's also trustworthy and authoritative in matters for both our justification and our sanctification. They're able to make us wise for salvation, right? Everything we need to know in order to be saved about what God has done for us through Jesus Christ is revealed right there in his word. Um, but it's not just for that moment of salvation either. It's not just so that we can put our trust in him. It's so that we can grow and continue to grow in our faith. It's useful for those other things so that we can be equipped for every good work. Right? And so God's word is important not only as we preach and try to, try to share and explain God's love to people, but it's also important for us as Christians who have been going at it for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, and I can keep on going years, to continue to live and continue to, to be faithful for every good work. See, the Bible is special revelation uh, and that it's, as opposed to general revelation. We see God revealed in nature and in his creation and through things like that. But the Bible is slightly different. It's special revelation. It's, it's how God revealed himself to particular people at particular times and in particular places. Scripture is the primary way for us to know about God, his character, his action in the world, and the salvation he made possible through Jesus Christ. And so God's word is reliable and it's also trustworthy. We may ask ourselves, if the Bible can't be trusted, what can? Right? We had talked about all, the, all those other forms of authority, whether it was the church, um, our history, our historical tradition, or even pastors themselves. We all derive our authority from God's word. So if God's word can't be trusted, what are we to do about those other situations? In John chapter 6, verses 66 through 69, Jesus had been teaching some pretty difficult things for for his followers to understand. Many people began to desert him. So Jesus turns to his disciples at that time and asks them, You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. I think Peter's got a point there, right? If we can't trust God, if we can't take him at his word, if we can't 
find Scripture and his, uh, reliable and trustworthy, where else are we to turn? Where else can we go if we can't trust God's Word? And I don't think we have anywhere else to turn. We need to trust it. We, like Peter, we need to admit that, that he alone has the words of eternal life. And we need to approach God's Word as such. And so I just want to, again, this is maybe more a little rapid fire than you're able to follow along, so I invite you to just listen to these passages um, of Scripture that testify that, that God is trustworthy and faithful. And so I believe if God is trustworthy and faithful, then His Word is as well, right? God's Word depends on His trustworthiness and faithfulness. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, the prophet writes, is God, excuse me, God is not human that He should lie, not a human being that He should change His mind. Does He speak and then not act? Does He promise and not fulfill? Right? God doesn't, God doesn't change His mind. God doesn't, God doesn't lie, right? He can be trusted and we can take Him at His Word. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His character, His will, His purpose doesn't change from one day to the next. So therefore, what God revealed to us in His, in His Word hundreds and, and even thousands of years ago, we can take um, as trustworthy and reliable today. Isaiah 55, verse 11 says, My word goes out from my mouth. I will not, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. God's word always accomplishes what it intends to accomplish. And in John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus promises that, that as he returns to the Father, he will send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, and he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and what he will tell you what is yet to come. And so we may look at Scripture, and it may be hard for us to understand, and we may look at it from, from kind of a skeptic's perspective, and it may not make sense. But Jesus promises that as we put our trust in Him, as we put our faith in Him, He will send us a Spirit and help us to understand what He has revealed to us in His Word. And so He does not leave us up to our own devices, but gives us that, that opportunity to know Him and trust Him as, as, as we learn to, to trust the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so, in closing, we ask ourselves, how should we respond? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4-9, through 9, um, we get this great passage about uh, Moses calling the people to hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. It's, uh, it's often referred to as the Shema, which is the Hebrew word for hear. But it means so much more than just hear. It's not just listening to auditory information, but it's responding. It's, it's the idea that we will hear and then react to what we have just heard. There's action, there's response involved. And so as we approach God's Word, we need, to, we need to be more than just listening, right? We need to respond to it as well. And so there's some ways we can do that on a personal level, but also as a church. On a personal level, we need to study God's Word. We can't respond to it if we don't know what it says. We can't look to it as the final authority for our lives if we don't know what's in it. We have greater access to God's Word than ever before, but we take it for granted. One of the, one of the key... Um, uh, processes of the, of the Reformation was the fact that the printing press had just been developed. And so God's Word was more available to, to people than it ever had been before. And it was that, that access to God's Word that really sparked a hunger and a desire. And so we need, to, we need to recapture that and ask God to give that same sort of desire for ourselves. We need to not only study it, but it's also important for us to memorize it. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
As we memorize God's Word, it becomes a part of us and it transforms the way we think and the way we act. And so we need to not only study it, but, but let it become a part of who we are. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it reminds us that it talks about these physical reminders of, of on your doorposts and, and as you're coming, as you're going to talk about those things. And so on a personal level, it's good to have those physical reminders. Have stuff around your house. Have a place where you read your Bible, right? Have, write out scripture on an index card and tape it on your mirror. But do something. Remind yourself about God's word throughout the day. Sometimes those physical or those visual reminders really can encourage us to, to know his word more. And then as a church, as a church, to embrace scripture alone means we need to evaluate everything we do in light of scripture. Our mission statement that we all read together today says that we want to be a community of faith who engage biblical truth. And so we need to ask ourselves why we do what we do, right? And, and always look at it in light of scripture so that we can be as faithful to Christ as we possibly can be as a church. And that means we need to teach, we need to preach, we need to pray, we need to sing, we need to study God's Word together. You see, we don't ever outgrow the Gospel. We don't ever get to a point where we can stop talking about Jesus and what He's done for us. It needs to be a regular part of what we do, and in everything we do, not just the preaching, but every aspect of of the service and life as a church. In other words, we need to keep on reforming. Right, The Reformation is something that happened almost 500 years ago, but it's something that we need to continue to allow God to do in our own lives. And that only happens when we know his word and submit to its authority. And in Second Timothy, it says that as we do that, we'll be equipped for every good work. I believe that God is preparing First Church for great things. I really do. I think that there's a lot of good stuff going on here, and, and God wants us to continue moving in that direction. And so if we want to be faithful to the calling he's given us, we need to be faithful to his word. We need to allow that to be the foundation of everything we do. We need to look to, how, look to his word and allow it to be the authority in our lives. So that as we move forward, as we, as we learn, talk about what it means to be rooted in Christ and growing together and serving the world, as we try to figure out what it means to love, our, love God and love our neighbor as ourselves, it's his word that will keep us Firm. It'll, it'll be his word that needs to be the foundation of that process. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that, that through, um, Lord, that Lord, you've been working and active throughout church history. And that as we celebrate the Reformation today and as we continue to study in the weeks to come, you would, you would continue to open our minds, but also open our hearts, Lord, to what you have to say to us. I pray, Lord, that each one of us, um, on a personal level, would make, make your word the final authority in our lives. And that as a church, we would be able to base everything we do on, on how you've revealed yourself to us in Scripture. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, let's stand and sing number 271, Standing on the Promises of God.
I encourage you before you go today, if you're near one of our new members, uh, be sure to greet them and welcome them into the church again um, and ask that you go in peace. Amen.